Welcome to the Moanan Podcast, connecting Pacific knowledge to Pacific peoples. Welcome to episode two. Thanks everyone for getting in touch via social media and email. Like we said before, this isn't just an educational platform. This is a community, and so we're on a mission to connect Moanans living in diasporas across the world. This week, we have Benjamin Work, a Tongan artist based in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, Aotearoa, New Zealand. He's well known for his work that highlights Tongan stories and history and connections across the Moana between what we now know as separate nations. Uh, my name is Benjamin Work. I'm a visual artist that's based here in Tamaki Makoto. Um, yeah, my creative-led research, um, it kind of has focused on the intersection and connection of ancient and contemporary kōpēsi. Um, I'm interested that in these so-called simple forms um, hold so much depth, and um, it's the, our way of like the transference of knowledge embedded in these little kōpēsi or these motifs. Kōpēsi is a stencil used to print design onto beaten bark cloth with each design telling its own story and history. And so through an indigenous Moanan lens, we see that Kupesi acts as a way to share knowledge through the use of materials. It's known that all across the Pacific, our stories and our histories are held within our oral traditions. But there are also other ways our knowledge was stored and transferred, like through song and through dance and through art. And my early interest in history came from my father, who's Balangi, who's Scottish. Um, he has a keen interest in history, uh, different people groups of the world, uh, reads a lot. And I remember him when we grew up, he was always in the bedroom reading. <laughs> that was totally what I did not want to do. But I think that was the seed that was planted in me. And then as I um, became a teenager, and, um, and it was a crucial age looking for identity, so I was drawn more to understanding my Tongan side because that was the side that was a bit more tangible and real. Um, they say we are often drawn to the, the, the side that we feel the most warmth from. And our, my tongue and gainga, I felt a lot of warmth from. So that was something I was always interested in as a tonga. So um, being bicultural in a bicultural household is quite difficult. So I turned to uh, publications and there weren't many. There was this book by uh, St. Keith Car Keith Karma. Anyway, there was this book um, called The Art of Tonga. And uh, that was like my little mini Bible of understanding um, this culture that I'm part of. Um, yeah, and in it were a lot of symbols, a lot of motifs. Um, another influence was um, the ngatu or the siapo tapa that was underneath my mattress. Um, those symbols were there with me daily. So I was like, hmm. And I think those get Im embedded or imprinted in your mind. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that's the origins of my interest in what I'm doing. It's all about metal under the bed. Are we talking like uneven mattress? <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm grateful that my mother had the even um, even skills when it came to uh, Natu and Fala underneath our bed. And I think my sisters probably had more than me. Benjamin highlights a common experience for many Tongans sleeping with Natu or mats underneath our beds. I'd bet there'd be a bunch of funny experiences that only us Moanans living in the diaspora can name. Growing up in the diaspora, there are common experiences like trying to reconnect to your culture through your parents. 
I, I think of my mother when, when you bring that up and I think of her frustration or her um, distress with trying to communicate her culture to her bicultural Aotearoa New Zealand, New Zealand born children. That was, that was really difficult for her and we'd have questions and she'd be like, because we were speaking predominantly English and then I just remember her response was like, hey, Elo. <laughs> why are you asking why are you asking and you know in hindsight I think we were or I was especially was asking the wrong questions because um, growing up now and doing a lot of research um, there's this term we say key knowledge holder you know we, we travel and we meet with our um, elders and their key knowledge holders which is true but I've come to learn that all our parents are key knowledge holders because embedded in their DNA and their lives uh, everything that we need to know. Um, and it's just asking the right questions or at the right time um, or going about it in a certain way. So my interest was, um, I was really formed by Aotearoa, growing up around a lot of Māori, had a lot of Māori friends and I uh, loved them. And I was always like um, comparing like um, certain words or certain practices and I was like, Hi there, my. I'm going to all these porphyries. Hi there, my. Now I'm asking my mum, do we do we do a porphyry? She's like, ah, porphyry. I'm like, well, you know, um, you know when they like karanga. <laughs> you know when they. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel Maori. Um, uh, you know when they karanga on and they're like hi there, you know, and um, she was like, well. When I think about, like, there's a passage in the Bible when they welcome Jesus into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and in the Tongan Bible, it's ha'ele mai. Ha'ele mai, and they're welcoming, calling him into the city. And I was like, ah, there, there we go, there we go. And she talked about karanga, and we have kalanga. Um, so, yeah, um, that was a barrier in the beginning because I was asking the wrong questions, but I reckon... All our parents, they hold, you know, generations of knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's just how do we um, draw it out of them without getting the slap on them. <laughs> without getting a <laughs> So one common theme we'll see throughout all of our content are the connections between peoples across the Pacific. Like we see here with the example of language similarities. Benjamin speaks to this particular connection between Tangata Whenua and Tangata Moana. Just to give some context to our listeners living outside of New Zealand, it wouldn't be uncommon to hear a distinction between Māori and other Pacific Islanders. Like I've heard things like, I've heard people say Māori aren't Islanders and vice versa. I actually came across this BuzzFeed Australia video asking, are Māori Pacific Islanders? And people were like saying yes and some people were saying no. This particular context has a lot of nuance with colonial history and waves of migration. I've heard some speakers say the only difference between Māori and other islanders are some came on a waka centuries ago and some came on plains decades ago. Many talk about this tōkana-tēna relationship, the sibling relationship between the two groups. I even remember watching a really cool doco called Origins, where Scotty Morrison, a Māori TV personality, travels across the Pacific and beyond um, to Tahiti, Rayatia, Samoa, Manawatu, and beyond to trace where Māori come from. 
And there's this one scene where he's sitting across the room from a well-respected knowledge holder. I think he's Cook Islander. I could be wrong. And that knowledge holder goes, I'm more Māori than you. So there, there are layers to this. And we've got some Māori guests coming on the podcast that will articulate this well. But I often find it easy to explain this distinction with relativity. Are Māori Pacific Islanders? That answer is relative to the situation. For example, in Auckland, I'm a Tongan. When I'm outside of Auckland in New Zealand, I'm a Pacific Islander. But when I'm in Tonga, where my grandparents are from, I'm a Balangi, <laughs> or a fair Balangi, or as many people refer. And then in other parts of the world, I'm a New Zealander or I'm a Kiwi. Anyway, more on that subject in the future. Benjamin talks about these ancient links between one and more. Yeah, I, I was always looking for this idea of a mentor. Because um, I learned about from the books and from family members that we had a ha'a tufunga, we had tufungas that passed down. That was hereditary in your family lineage. And I'm like, wow, man, what's my, you know, lineage? You know, like what was what would have been passed down to uh, through my family? And living in Tamaki Makoto and the diaspora disconnected somewhat. It was like, where where's our mentors? Um, I have my mother. She's amazing. She's frustrated and trying to teach these bilingual kids. Um, yeah, so it was still the books early on until um, I, I started to meet other um, people from our community, our Tongan community, and uh, they were to help. They were there to help me um, navigate uh, what I was trying to say through my artwork. Um, what's featured highly in my practice is, yeah, just being situated in Aotearoa, being connected to Tonga, and finding those connections. That's what's really interested me, because our people knew about Aotearoa. Um, it's in our stories. There's snippets in there. Um, and I think, you know, the more we scratch, the more we dig, the more we'll get revealed. Um, so... Um, in 2017, I had an exhibition called um, Whenua, Whonua, Enua. And that was in collaboration with um, a friend, Brendan Kitto, who's a photographer here, who also is Balangi and Cook Islander. Yeah. So hence the title Whenua, honouring Tamaki where we lived, uh, Whonua, Tonga, Enua for Rarotonga. And we were trying to make sense. Um, my exhibition was trying to make sense of the, the place that I grew up with in, and it was East Auckland. So predominantly, um, Pakuranga, but you know, got the, uh, Tamaki River or Te Wai or Taiki, um, that whole region. And, um, I was interested in looking at the history beyond the settler colonial history and exploring um, the Māori history, which is um, Naitaiki Tamaki, Ngāti Pāwa, you know, this region. And um, as we did research and engaged with local iwi, um, some of our friends at Whakapapa to these places, um, we were led on this hikoi or this, this boat ride down the Tamaki River out into the harbour, and we were um, faced looking directly at Motutapu. And I'm like, Motutapu? We got a Motutapu in Tonga. Mm. And you know, 
being a very biased um, Tongan, I was like, that's Tongan. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's how it all started. And that led me on this journey, which was a four year um, body of work where we ended up traveling to some of those mototapu. It was, it was a journey of reconnection, not only for me, but for uh, Brendan also, who was on that, on that same similar journey, uh, connecting with his Rarotonga and Tahitian whakapapa. Uh, we chose those locations because of you know, our relationship to them, but also living in Tāmaki. Um, so we travelled to each of those motutapu and we connected with um, people that descended from there, or people that whakapapa hohoko. I think that was very important. And... Um, it starts to unravel and you see that this is just one aspect of our culture, our connectedness. So I'm not trying to be an expert on everything, but for me it was like, this is in front of me, this is interesting, this is like something I can scratch away. And, and. But we rediscovered for ourselves that this was an ancient gateway. This was a threshold, uh, a bastion that was situated at every major harbour, that our people would use this as also almost like a customs. Um, this was a sacred place that you had to stop um, before you arrived into the mainland. Um, we had processes and, and this, this process really interested me because Mototapu is in Tongatapu, it's in Rarotonga, it's in Tahiti, it's in Bora Bora, it's in um, Marquesas Islands. In Samoa it's there but it's called Tapu. In Fiji it's there but it's called Motuliki or Motuliki. These are processes and things that connect us um, between the islands. Even in Niue, there's a space in Niue called Mototapu. Um, something fascinating was uh, um, we all know the um, Tahitian priest and navigator at uh, Tupaya. Tupaya told Captain Cook to go to Aotearoa, we're going to Aotearoa, we go along and then down from Tonga. Like, so those Mototapus, uh, you know, like, stations or stopovers that connected the islands um, but also it kept a connection or the relational connection warm so when you arrived at that island there was a safe process to enter that but also it was another re way of reconnecting to those um, marriage relationships that were established on a on a hoeiki or or ali'i level so yeah all those those things were pretty fascinating i mean when tupai and cook arrived in donga um well when cook he he noted that there was a big prow uh, uh the front of uh, the ship of a vaka from tahiti on one of the the king's tombs um tupai told cook i've been to tonga like he knew the way um so there's there's a lot of knowledge embedded in these uh, locations and stories. Um, yeah, pretty fascinating. Similar to last week's episode with Sunny Nataniello, here is another example of how our people often travelled between islands, seeing the ocean as highways, our very own inter-island highway. Benjamin's research has led him to find many connections between islands, but also a very specific focus on ancient Tongan spirituality and practices, like the Nematapu. Yeah, that's something um, I find really interesting that, you know, uh, historically, but um, even to, up until recently, it was a strong understanding of that hereditary lines. And uh, the Nimatapu was one of those hereditary lines, the Ha'a, Nimatapu. They, they were um, uh, a lineage 
And to this day, they still are, and they are the only ones that can handle the body of uh, the Tu'i or the, the, the royal families. Um, because for us, they are highly tapu, and it's not like anyone can actually handle those bodies. And, and you know, that knowledge has been passed from generation to generation down in that, in that line, which is um, pretty fascinating. Um, I'm speaking from an outsider, because obviously I don't descend from that line. Um, but what we can learn from history is that often um, those people that would handle the body were then buried with the king. Um, there have been um, certain graves that have been unearthed um, of uh, Hoeiki, and there are bodies um, laid beside them on each side. Um, one not so long ago, actually, um, it was unearthed to uh, clean and um, investigate and actually rebury some, bury someone else um, as part of that grave. And there were seven bodies on the left and seven bodies on the right. Um, uh, other other digs, well, I remember one in Vava'u, there was talk about like um, people being bound in their, uh, in their burial beside the Ho'eiki, um, the, the high chief that was buried there. Um, but, you know, I think we get a snapshot with Donga today, the mafana that our people have, especially for our royals. So often people say, oh, they were sacrificed, forced to die for their king. But I think another perspective is like, Tongans, you know, I mean, mate ma'a Tonga. Like, we would die for our king. Um, you know, we would see that role is very sacred, like highly sacred. Um, so, um, yeah, it's interesting. There's different perspectives. Were they forced or were they, you know, did they freely lay down for their, their life, you know, for their king? I think too, like another way of looking back at history is, and it's important in this time and place that we are, a lot of us are looking back for reconnection is not to romanticize the past because we weren't all warriors. We weren't all chiefs. <laughs> We've got to view history for what it is, and and our our in our tongue and culture we have a, a rank. Um, there's a hierarchy. Uh, there's family lineages. Um, you know the the tautai ika, the the king's fishermen. Like we often look down at fishing, like oh he's just a fisherman. Nah nah, there was a sacred role of fishing. There was the nooanga, like you know the the experts that would catch the sharks. Um, these were expertise. So, um, yeah, right now everyone's looking back and like, ah, oh, it was amazing. It was this um, paradise of peace. And I'm like, well, also we've got to look at like, there were daula, um, like spiritual priests and that. And, you know, I mean, I, th I think of stories and it talks about like, uh, this chief is buke, he's dying. So they sacrifice a child and they tie the ngatu around its neck and strangle it to death hoping to appease the gods to save this chief's life. You know, those, those are aspects in our, in our history as well. Um, I think that, you know, we acknowledge and we have to um, view it in, in its entirety, not just the snippets that sound really good, like the AI warriors that everyone's making at the moment. I'm like, oh, right. But we weren't that big. Well, come on. Yeah. I mean, we were, we're fit and strong, but I'm like, these AI warriors, yeah. too. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
Something that many people talk about is often seen is this romanticizing of our past. So it begs the question, what are some common ideas of our ancestors that are perhaps a bit skewed? Moana Jackson, our well-respected Māori academic, critiques this idea of Māori or Polynesians having this warrior gene. Rather than naming the film Once We're Warriors, a more accurate title would have been Once We're Gardeners. Now back to Benjamin continuing to talk about our connectedness and the importance of names for Moanans. Names um, are portals as well. They're a great starting point. Whenever I meet a Tongan over here, ask them, what's your family name? What's your mum's maiden name? What was their name? Because that, that, um, uh, we met a lovely woman in Tonga and she was saying to us, you know, us Tongans, we walk around with this tree in the front of our head, like this imaginary invisible tree. Because when we meet someone, we have to decipher, are we related? How are we related? Are you higher rank than me? Are you lower? Do I have to address you differently? Should I tend to that var differently? So I think, um, yeah. I would suggest to anyone actually exploring names. Um, they're very good keys to unlocking to um, the past and to those connections um, further abroad. Um, often academics have uh, really have classed um, West Polynesia, East Polynesia, and um, what I found interesting is um, migration, even to Aotearoa, it's always focused on Raiatea and Cook Islands, and, that, and so it should, but it's actually, in a way, it's, um, kind of overlooked or cut off somewhat the connection of Fiji, Samoa, Tonga to here. Our knowledge of here and early, early voyages of, of being here, of waka that went from island to island and picked up and dropped off. So I was talking to a friend yesterday about Takitimu. Takitimu was built in Samoa, you know, like Tainui um, in the forest of Lata. But, you know, it, it, it moved, it changed names, but we remember, we know that Takitimu came to Vava'u, you know, like, so all of these connections, I think uh, we've got to keep an open mind with um, our connectedness. Like, um, I, I understand there's this popular narrative of, you know, we came from Taiwan, from the West, and we swept to the East, and then we came down here to Aotearoa and up to Hawaii. Yes, I say that, but then also there are other places we came from and went to. It's not just this very linear, clean sweep, like whoosh, that way, down this way. We have um, an amazing uh, expert uh, navigator called Maui. Um, in Tonga, we remember them having a clan, so there's a Ha'a Maui, in the eastern side of um, Tonga Tapu, as he's remembered. Maui features hugely in Tonga as well, as, as many other islands. But um, those are our ancestors and those stories that um, connect us all. So I think, you know, when we um, compartmentalize the Pacific or the Moana, I don't think, I think that's problematic because our people weren't compartmentalized. <laughs> so we remember like, seeing all these random Pacific Islanders playing for French teams, French rugby teams. And when people often talk, ask us about French Islanders, what first comes to mind are like those from Tahiti or the Marquesas or New Caledonia. But some links that aren't as known or aren't known as much, I should say, are Uvea and Futuna, otherwise known as Wallace and Futuna, two neighbouring islands, Tonga, Samoa and Fiji. Yeah, right. So it's because of the different colonial histories that Donga, Samoa, 
Fiji share with Uwe and Fortuna that we see a migration pattern that's a little bit different. While Samoans, Tongans and Fijians have made their way to Aotearoa, Australia, the United States, often we see Uwe and Fortunans make their way to French Polynesia, New Caledonia and even to France. And so if you see someone that looks Fijian, Samoan or Tongan playing for France, chances are they're probably from Uwe or Fortuna. Uwe are Tongans, Tongans are Uweans, in, in my, my eyes. Um, if you go throughout our hohoko, our genealogies of both uh, royal lines in Uwea and in Tonga, you've got Tongan kings having a Uwean wife, you've got Uwean kings having a Tongan wife. So, you know, I, I, th I think it's very funny how we view even those marriages and lineages now because we have nationhoods. Yeah. So we're like, they married a Samoan. So if they marry a Samoan, they have children, they're Tongan and Samoan, but we still think, no, they're Samoan. But it's like, no, because the parents has got this bloodline and this bloodline that makes, so um, maybe not so popular, but I, I think all Tongans have Samoan in them and all Samoan have Tongan in them. It's, if you go back in our lineage, you know, you've got all our uh, Hoeiki, our Ali'i marrying each other and Fiji. There's this intimate connection between, especially between those three nations and Uwea for Tonga as well, but probably Uwea with Samoa and others. So I think we've got a long way to go, but it's all in the genealogy. You can see it in the story. So uh, probably because of their whanua, they were experts in um, stone masonry. Mm. Um, so some of those langi, those tombs and moa, were built by uveans or directed by the tufunga, a uvean tufunga. Um, it's embedded in the names of some of those um, langi, but also it's those marriage and those connections. So there's even um, names connected to, still to this day with um, the different plots of land around the village of Moa that have names connecting to where they've come from. Um, and uh, Ha'uwea is still there, that name. But also, uh, like you said, the famous song of Lomi Piao, which is an ancient story of the Uweans bringing the Ha'amonga Amawi stones on the vaka called Lomi Piao. So at the top of the podcast, Jen shared how often in the Pacific, knowledge is transferred orally through song and through dance. And one example of this is the Nailasikau, a laka laka that was composed by Queen Salote that speaks to the connectedness between Uwea, Tonga and Fiji. Um, some people believe it's a metaphor that the Uwea and Tufungas came on the Lomi Piao and built the stone there. Um, generally, it's believed that they brought those stones um, from Uwea to Tonga and um, placed them there at Heketa in Hahake and Tonga. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because <clears throat> the, the king of Uwea, his title is Laberua? I think that's one, one line. Oh, one, 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 one. Yeah, I, I think they have... Twelve lines. 
I, I'm not an expert on the Tala Uve. Because we know Tong and Zay with the last name Lagarua. Oh, yes. Seeing those connections, eh? And, and more so even to, up until recently. So uh, there was migration from Uvea and um, because of uh, tensions, but also marriages early on, but also tensions where uh, a huge group came and settled in Vava'u. There's a lot of people in Tonga with Uvean bloodline. So Faleleo is a Uvean name. When they moved to Vava'u, the king gave them that land and their village is called Faleleo. It's the same. And so if you meet someone from Faleleo, definitely got Uvean in them. Same as Nua for all and Nua Toptapu, a lot of close connections with um, Uvea. Uh, that's where my grandmother comes from in Nua for all. What are some things that you've learned in your journey that you'd share with anyone who's keen to learn, but they just don't know where to start? I think the starting point is acknowledging and coming to a place I know it's hard, especially for a lot of our young people, that um, might feel disconnected that you are Tongan. That gaining knowledge or learning an ability that's connected to our cultural practices won't make you more Tongan. I think that's a lie that many of us have believed. To attain my Samoanness or Tonganness or my Māori Tonga, I need to learn my language, I need to do these things. Those are great, but that doesn't make you who you are. It's your whakapapa, it's your genealogy. So I think that's a good starting point. Mm. I am, just because I am. This is how I was created. Um, it's not going to change, but I'm going to change by learning more about it. Queen Salote said um, famously, if you don't know how you connect or your hala, your, the, the way, your road to the king, then you're not Tongan. And it's not, she wasn't saying that to push anyone away or make them feel disconnected or uh, offend them, but was saying everyone is related to the king if you're Tongan. Um, and that's something that I've learned with um, getting more educated around uh, genealogy, um, but just hearing stories. I would encourage people just ask, um, just gently nudge. Look at the right timing with our, our, our family, our elders, and ask some real easy questions or even stories. There's a lot of knowledge that's connected to story. Um, those things have really helped me. And then it, it shrinks the country. It's, when you learn about like, how, where everyone connects and fits, oh man, it's such a small place. Um, and then even uh, through my wife learning a lot about um, Samoan lines, you've got these um, SARS, and that just shrinks Samoa because they come off these main lines. So, yeah, I, I find it fascinating. I know um, there's others out there that won't have the time or the space to do this, but I would just encourage start with your name. Um, you know, Nas has that song, If I Ruled the World, of Lauren Hill. And he says, he talks about it in that line, and he says, if I ruled the world, I'd free all my sons, you know, um, I'd open up the cells and send them back to Africa. If I ruled the world, I would shout and pay for everyone that connects to the Moana to fly back to their whanua. If you can, that's something, because your body is made up of the land, and it resonates with the land. And it says things and does things that no one else could do. And it um, strengthens and embeds things in you. 
makes things come alive. Um, so, yeah, I think those are good starting points. But if you halapa anga, man, get another job. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, make some art, make some art, you know, sell something. Grow some kava, sell it. So you had the privilege to go back home to your whanua. What was the experience like for you and, and your family? I had a lot of anxiety about the idea of living in Tonga. It, it scared me, actually. I think when you walk towards somewhere you're supposed to go and something you're supposed to do, often we have fear and anxiety to take that step. And I, it was overwhelming for me. I was like, I'd never left Auckland. I'd lived here my whole life. So I was like, heck no, do I want to live in Tonga. Where's the cafes at? <laughs> Do you make a good flat white there? No. Uh, yeah. Flat white, yeah, yeah. I'll flat a new whitey. Um, so those were stupid thoughts, but there was a lot of fear and anxiety. But in hindsight, it was the best thing I could have ever done. Um, yeah. Yeah, my time in Tonga was um, it, more than I could ever hope and dream for. Um, just the warmth and the connection and um, the knowledge that was um, passed on but even the understanding of the environment by being there we read a lot and I think there's a lot of head knowledge in the west but indigenous knowledge is experiential knowledge so I think that's why my mum was confused when we'd ask her everything because she was taught by doing but we're not in Auckland doing anymore we are sitting there looking at a book or asking her, can you teach me how, what, what was that? Why did you fish that? Why did you make that noise? Um, so I was there and I heard those birds and the chickens and the roosters in the middle of the night. I saw the bats flying. I saw the um, helikosi and the tawake and all them flying before the storm came. And when the cyclone Harold moved, two of them came and circled above us. You know, these are stories that are embedded in Manuloa. These are stories that are embedded in um, Al Kupesi. And then here I am physically seeing it. So that was, yeah, you just couldn't match that. You can't experience that from a book. No just to books, but yeah. yeah. Given that so many of us Moanans live in urban diasporas away from our homelands, we asked Benjamin about ancient practices that we may have lost and how we here in the West can revive those practices that we've lost. I think the great thing about losing something is often that our brothers or sisters, cousins haven't lost it. So something that we do not do any longer in Tonga is still done in Samoa. And we see that clearly with the Tufunga Tatatau. Samoa has held it strong, and they've actually helped revive most of Moana's Tatatau again. So um, I, I used to be bummed out when I'd see a practice no longer being used, but it, it doesn't take long to revive something. So Fangu uh, Fangu, for example, um, uh, the noble Vehala is very famous for um, you know playing that, and his recordings are some of the main recordings that we've you know utilised. And I, I remember when. Um, Professor Hufanga uh, Okusimahina was interested in, um, you know, celebrating this practice more. And Futahelu also um, was celebrating this practice, but it was few and far between. So um, that he gathered a few people 
and they uh, worked on reviving this or breathing life back into the Fung Fung again. And, and we're at a place where it's gathering momentum. I think because of my interest in Kupesi, especially around Akautau, Bovai, the, the war clubs, um, what accompanied that was obviously not just pretty decorations, but was all the, the arts or the martial arts of fighting with clubs. So even when they weren't at war, they were practicing their skill. I mean, we can, we can learn stuff from our cousins. Um, you know, we see the taiaha being wielded with expertise. Um, patu, we had very similar weapons with, you know, like bovai or the kolo, um, tao, all these different weapons. But, um, what's recorded is actually still some of the names and some of the actions, the movements. So I would like to see that revive. I'd sit there and be like, yeah, hit him, hit him, hit him. <laughs> um, but I think that'd be really interesting to see, um, you know, that, that part of our um, fighting or martial arts. They even practice with like a balalafa, like a, the, the branch of a coconut um, tree. It would sting still, but it's not as... Uh, not as painful as maybe getting hit by a door, piece of door tree, you know. Um, and what I see is that a lot of what you um, mentioned was transferred into um, siasi, to lotu, to church. So a lot of those practices. So we still have matapule and, you know, ulumatua has his role and he knows what to say and do. Um, but like you said, what about us that are outside maybe those roles? Um, a lot of the malanga is actually what um, has carried a lot of that um, communication or dalano or that, or that speaking, that, especially that public speaking. I think a lot of practices that we did traditionally, um, maybe in other settings, are done within a church setting. Currently, those are the centers for um, our culture uh, to nurture it, especially for us outside of Tonga. So if you're not part of that, that it's really hard. Um, I, I think our people were the most connected uh, spiritually uh, to the whanua, to the moana, to the environment, to the unseen realm. So when they heard this message, or the teaching of this uh, spiritual leader, um, this one God through Jesus Christ, they wanted to see proof. And we saw that with King Taufa Ahau. He's got a few famous stories um, with Peter V and others. And like throwing them overboard and seeing if the um, shark was going to eat them or the survive. So they were like, they were testing this this message. I think the problem too, when uh, missionaries came, what they should have brought is the seed and let it see how it came to fruition. But they brought a pot plant. So um, practically saying, like, I think they came and they said, you have to build a church building and it has to look like this. It has to be white and you have to wear the gown and sing like this. That's, that's the message already growing. That's the English version. That's the Scottish version, the Irish, whatever you have. They, sh they should have just brought the message of uh, forgiveness. You know, prior to uh, the arrival of the, this message, serfdom, that, that rank, they were seen as worms and they didn't go to Pulotu. So it's interesting that we all think we went, oh, we, we, we round the clock, we're all chiefs, we're all warriors, we're all going to Pulotu. No, 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 they're these, this whole class. And you know, we use the term today, commoners, 
But uh, there was this class of people that didn't see pulotu, that didn't see forgiveness, that didn't live in the benefits of Tonga. So this idea of church Christianity and the moana, this is a contentious topic but something that is important to many of our communities. We are going to hold a Talanoa, a Wananga, a discussion here in Tamaki Makoto later this year, touching on this and discussing this idea. Though this is happening in, here in Auckland, we'd love to hear about similar spaces happening in other diasporas, in Australia, in Europe, in America. We're also visiting a few cities overseas very soon, so if you'd like to link up, please let us know. Talking about spaces, Benjamin and some mates started a similar space called the Gava Book Club. Oh, I just would like to mention, like, you know, for us during the pandemic, that's how um, the time and the place that we started the Gava Book Club. And that came out of um, a common thread of Tongans and creatives, academics that we knew that wanted to reconnect in a, um, I don't know if safe space is the term I want to use because it's, you know, what is a safe space really? Um, But it was a space where, it was just open to for people at whatever stage they were at. So we, Tadia uh, Golomatangi, who's a tofunga tatatau, he opened up his studio. So we started meeting there, and um, we were having talano and kava around different publications, and we're just inviting a lot of our friends that we knew that um, were in a um, same similar position. But you know, I really wanted to emphasise like uh, you can sit with your legs out. You can lie down, like, you know, because there's so much pressure that our people, you know, you know. And there's a place we we need to learn that. That's cool. But if you're right at the beginning and that is even like an issue, like sitting cross-legged and, man, let's not have that as a barrier here. That, yes, you learn it, you'll do it there. But here, um, we hope then and to encourage you in your journey of um, wherever that's leading. So, um, yeah, I think wherever you are, whether it's in Aussie, in the States, um, in Aotearoa, wherever, even across the world, like it's just starting those spaces, starting the Talanoa. And, um, yeah, there's a proverb. It's my favorite proverb. Um, uh, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings and queens to search a matter out. And it's the idea that uh, God hides things um, for us, not from us. So uh, there's there's a lot of knowledge that's maybe hidden at the moment or maybe not known, but it takes inquiring minds. It takes people that want to search that matter out. So, you know, for us in this instance, the Gava Book Club was um, a space for us to search those matters out, to come up together collectively. There's something about um, a space with... Um, those minds that come together and um, yeah, all the little pieces of the puzzle come together. It's pretty cool. We'd like to thank Benjamin Work for jumping on the podcast to share his knowledge, wisdom and experiences with us. At the top of the podcast, he shared how his cultural journey and learnings began when he started to read books. And since then, he's been able to continue his cultural journey, having travelled back to Tonga and to many other islands in the Moana. His Gava Book Club, is a perfect example of how we as Moanans, outside of our ancestral lands, can keep connected to each other, but also to the knowledge of our ancestors and also our culture.